Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. And I'm Justin. And I am really excited about a lot of the stuff that's been going on with this podcast. Um, A big, big thank you again to everyone that's listening, everyone that's subscribing, um, everyone here in the U.S., as well as just continuing to get a lot of... um, a lot of plays just around the world and a lot of surprising places. I'm looking at a lot of this data right now. Only 17% of our listening is coming from the United States. Wow. Which, I mean, it is the largest percentage, but that just shows how many countries are tuning in. And what is right after that? Brazil, with a pretty large margin, a 12%. hey love Brazil. Yeah, and... Uh, I'm I'm continuing to figure out how to get a lot of these more um, more specific data, but it's kind of showing me just some of the uh, specific areas in Brazil. Like I've got 25% listening in Sao Paulo, okay, um, 7% listening from Rio, and so for everyone in Brazil that's listening, thank you so much. Yes. I don't know how you found me. Obrigado, thank you. Yeah. You were you were in Brazil last year. I was. It was you. No, sorry, not you. I wasn't there. No. But your wife. It was me, my wife, and Rachel was there as well. Yeah. And Sarah and Philip were also there too. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Somehow, I guess you guys found this podcast or liking it because I'm getting a pretty good um, number of people listening from that area. So, uh, thank you so much. Got people from Mexico. United Kingdom, Australia, Germany, Argentina, um, some really surprising places like Nepal and wow. Angola. That and is surprising. It's, yeah, it's just like this. This is amazing. Um, I think that's in Africa. Yes, it is. Yeah. Which again, I don't know how you found us, Man. but. I'm really, really happy you did. Technology. <laughs> I know. The world is so small now. Yes, it is. Um, Indonesia, India. Love it. It's just it's just crazy. So really, really appreciative to everyone that's tuning in on a regular basis. Um, we are up to approximately, this is an approximate number, um, at least as far as I can tell, but it looks like we got about 160 subscribers. Wow. As far as people that are tuning in to, an ep- to a new episode on a daily or weekly basis, people that aren't just listening to one episode and then moving on, but people that are returning. Are faithful. Yeah, our, our following is, is getting bigger. And then we're about to hit a very big milestone with our total plays. We're about to cross the 3,000 mark. Wow. Which... It took quite a while to get to a thousand the first time, and then almost it felt about the same amount of time to get to two thousand. But it was a really, it was really quick going from two thousand hmm. to three thousand. I wonder which episode helped spark that. I know exactly what episode did it. Heyo, and it was our Pink Floyd episode. Come on, somebody. So that episode came out about three weeks ago. By the way, in case you didn't know, we record ahead of time. So even though we're recording for what you're going to listen to on um, September 30th, uh, right now for us it is whatever today is. What's today? 
17th, I think. It's the 17th, yeah. so that just shows you kind of where we are on the schedule. But um, so about three weeks ago, Pink Floyd came out, and it's already gotten 406 listens. Man. And we've crossed 200 with Slipknot, and Coldplay finally passed the 1,000 listen mark. <laughs> it's actually up at 1,100 now. Crazy. Uh, Metallica's past 500. Um, Tears for Fears is really picking up. We're at about 150 there. So, and um, Beatles is still sitting at 50. <laughs> That's so sad. I know. The uh, band that started it all. The, the band that is the reason that all these other bands exist, and they by far comparatively have um, the lowest count. Unbelievable. Uh, even Nirvana in one week got almost 100 listens. Well, well they are the band of the 90s. Mm-hmm. So. They have actually are only two listens behind Fleetwood Mac, which is in two weeks out now. Crazy. So definitely Nirvana's got a little more steam going. And then our newest episode that just came out yesterday, which was Genesis, right. Phil Collins' episode, um, I can tell by the numbers coming in that that one's probably going to have a bit of a slower. Hmm. But two days, 21 listens, it's not bad. It's pretty good. Actually, most of those listens came from today. They didn't come from yesterday. Yesterday, I only had about eight. Hmm. Anyway, you're getting some good look into some of our numbers. But I really like looking at data. It's something that's fascinating to me. So I like to kind of dive in a little bit. Also, we're recording two episodes tonight, so you're probably not going to hear me repeat this stuff for the next episode. Although maybe I will just in case it's the first episode you're tuning into. So anyway, the the numbers have been really awesome. Just kind of seeing how this podcast is continuing to grow. Definitely seeing trends. Um and then we also have another new feature that is available on every episode. If you look at the description of every episode that we post on whatever platform that you're listening on. And where can our podcast be found? That is a good question. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, which is the main place that of we course. get. I would say I would have to pull up the data, but I think about 70% of our listening is coming from there, but we're also on Google podcasts. My, I've got some family that, uh, only uses Android. <laughs> and so they, they go to Google podcasts, of course. And then we're also on some other places that I actually have never heard of before. We're on breaker. We're on overcast pocket casts, radio public stitcher. And hmm. of course you can listen on anchor, which is what we make this podcast on. So, um, more from that later. Yes. I still have not figured out how to get on Spotify. I don't know if that's something that I got to do special or if that's just going to come in time. Hmm. I'm not quite sure, but I would love to be able to get on Spotify. Maybe one of our listeners knows. Maybe. Um, Wherever platform you're listening on, leave us a comment if you know how to get us on Spotify. (laughs) Because that's the most convenient place to listen to because then you can just hop right over to the playlist. That was kind of my original vision of when I started making this was to go, I really want to get on Spotify. So that way it's like a one-stop shop. But we're almost there. We're almost there. We're like everywhere else. Yeah. It's only a matter of time. But 
Well, my original point was is that if you look at the description on whatever platform you're listening on, there should be a little link where you can donate to support this podcast. Um, we are in the process of doing a lot of upgrading. We actually now have um, some official recording gear. We're in an official recording studio, which is really, really cool. Uh, all thanks to Justin here, who has the connections. My pleasure. And hopefully you've noticed that over the last couple episodes, we've sounded a lot better. Um, we're doing a lot of post-production related stuff. And um, what this will do is if you donate to our podcast, it's going to allow us to continue to expand. It's going to allow us to, instead of renting our own equipment, we can actually have our own equipment. Um it's going to go towards research. I'm going to be doing a lot of hardcore research going forward. Pretty much my goal is to be the preeminent expert on this group every single time we talk about them. Um, this is going to allow us to do maybe some other um, types of episodes to where maybe it's we do like almost like a like a side thing where it's not just um, us talking about an artist, but maybe we. Um, talk about current events in music or um, just I'm kind of thinking of some ideas of what we could do to kind of, you know, start to diversify a little bit. But that's what those donations are going to go towards. It'll just go towards making our podcast as good as it possibly can be and as big as it can be. That's right. The things you guys need to know really is that as much as we enjoy talking about the bands and, and the music, we love to do things well. And so all this is really is going to help us just make this a better listening experience for you. So that link will take you and it'll tell you exactly what you need to do. And it'll set you up for, um, I believe it's either a, a $2 a month, $5 a month or a $10 a month, uh, plan. And pretty much it's, it's kind of like a Patreon channel if you are familiar with that. So that'll be a way for you to be able to support what we're doing. If you like what we're doing, unfortunately, this Function is only available for our U.S. listeners, although according to Anchor, they're working on trying to get that global. So that um, could be something that we see in the future, just not at this particular moment. Mm. So um, that's kind of everything new that's been going on with this podcast. We're reaching that next level a little bit. We're actually going to now have um, some sponsored spots, which I always – if you're ever wondering why that, if you have been listening with us this whole time, why we cut back and say, we'll be right back, and then it comp goes right <laughs> into us talking again, is because I knew that at some point we would be putting um, ads somewhere in there. And so I was, I was preparing us that way we can go back later and put those in. But we now have that ability. We've got um, our first sponsor coming in. So it's it's all starting to... Starting to move. We're, we're getting somewhere. Yeah. I'm and sure you're very pleased about that. I really am because I would say it was a, almost a year ago that I had this initial idea. And it took me a really long time to build up the courage to do it. And now I'm doing it. And it's it's one of the favorite parts of my week recording. So that's what's all going on with the podcast. Let's go ahead and jump into this week's artist now i have a feeling <clears throat> you're going to be very pleased because this week's artist is one of your pillars one of my music. four pillars that's right and that would be 
Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden. In my opinion, the greatest metal band of all time. And another British band. Yes! It has not been intentional for me to keep picking British artists, although the next episode is going to break that right. pattern. But but the English really came out with some of the best bands ever. Britain always knew what was coming next. Yeah. So many, even American bands, a lot of these bands would get big in Europe first, and then America would kind of catch on when they were hitting the peak of their powers. That's how ACDC was. That's how the police were. Um, obviously, the Beatles, they got really big in Europe first. Even some of these bands that are American, like um, even though police were two-thirds British, um, Stuart Copeland, and then you've got um, ACDC, that's an Australian band that's not even from Europe. Yep. They didn't go to America first. They went to Europe first. Um, they kind of always knew what the next big thing was going to be. It didn't really happen as much in America, although with some notable exceptions. And so I just think that, I think that especially England, they just, they knew how to figure out what the next thing was going to be and, and create that underground scene that was going on. And Iron Maiden was definitely, they were the ones that took heavy metal to the next level whenever they came out. They were part of a very specific scene. And that was? It's a kind of a mouthful here, and we always shorten it whenever we talk about it. It's called New Wave of British Heavy Metal. Okay. And that always gets shortened to the Nawabum. <laughs> so they were the pioneers of this movement. Yes, although I wouldn't necessarily say they were the first band. They were definitely the biggest, and they were the ones that transcended the scene that they were in. And pretty much one, only one of two that were able to do it. Now, there, as far as New Wave of British Heavy Metal is concerned, there are some bands that have kind of been retroactively put in this genre, because it's almost a genre unto itself in the world of heavy metal. Gotcha. Something that's going to be very important you learn about heavy metal is that the genres and subgenres divide almost infinitely. <laughs> it's like it always, there's a, there's a genre within a genre within a genre within a genre. That would make sense, considering... Most people that talk about metal music like to say, like, no, we're different from, from them. No, we're different from them. It's, it's nonconformity. <laughs> so it's like you'll have um, atmospheric black and death metal or you'll have um, industrial stoner sludge or like it's just it's there's so many weird um, combinations of all the genres to create new. It's not just like this band has their own sound. They have to like create their own genre. But the new wave of hit British heavy metal was really the first time that we had a genre of metal come out that was different from the first generation. Because Black Sabbath started sure heavy metal, and you had a couple of bands that came afterwards that they didn't really claim to be part of a different scene or a different genre because they there was no scene at that time in the 70s. You had Judas Priest that came in the mid-70s. You had Motorhead that came in the late 70s. Um, but they were just metal. You didn't They didn't get a genre put to them until after the fact when people were trying to figure out, okay, where does Judas Priest even fit? And really, depending on the 
on the decade, you could put them in several different genres. But in the 80s, they kind of lumped them in with the new wave of British heavy metal because they were a British band. Yeah. They had some of the characteristics, obviously, because new wave of British heavy metal copied a lot of what Judas Priest was doing, um, which was high operatic style vocals, twin lead guitar. Mm-hmm. So you've instead of having a lead player and a rhythm player, you had two people playing lead. And the way that you would do solos is either one person would play the whole solo or they would switch off, almost yeah. like battling in a way. And that also led to harmonizing lead mm-hmm. lines and um and it just all gave all just a, a big fullness to the sound. Um that was definitely Judas Priest did it first in, in the world of metal, and then a lot of Nawabum bands followed no suits. Yeah, it's, I'm not going to say new wave of British heavy metal every time. Forget about it. Um, but at the same time, Judas Priest doesn't squarely fit in that category because they weren't part of that underground scene. They were already big at the time that this scene was starting, which was about 79, 80. At that point, Judas Priest already hit bigs. Also, Motorhead is another band that they'll try and say fits in, but they don't fit stylistically at all in this genre is just because they were British and they hit big about the time this scene was starting to really grow. So all that being said, what, what makes Iron Maiden stand out? So Iron Maiden, one of the biggest things about them is their, their, their ability to tell stories. And my, there are my favorite lyrically of any metal band. They always, find ways to tell just really interesting stories. They usually never sing about themes or philosophy, although they will occasionally. Usually all of their songs tell a story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. And they always pull from really intelligent sources. Like they don't sing about a zombie that's just going around eating people like death metal does. Or... They don't, they don't go for the, the horror aspect, uh, even though they did a little bit in their early days just because they were kind of still figuring out who they were. Once they really came into their own about their third album, they really figured out how to tell just really interesting and intelligent stories. They were borrowing from Greek mythology. Um, they were pulling from ancient history, from um, literature. They were adapting these things that, like teenagers would never read. Yeah. Like they wrote a 13 minute song about the rhyme of the ancient Mariner, which is like an, um, 1800s British poem about a sailor that invokes a curse after killing an albatross. But it's like one of those ones you would read in school and be like, this is the most boring piece of crap that I've ever read. But then Iron Maiden takes it and makes it a heavy metal song. And all of a sudden, You've got all these teenagers going out reading the rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. <laughs> they kind of set that precedent of, because a lot of other bands did that after Iron Maiden did. Yeah. About adapting certain things like uh, a modern metal band, Mastodon. They made an entire album based on Moby Dick. And it made me go and read Moby Dick. And I actually enjoyed it because I was reading it through the lens of this really trippy, awesome metal album that I've listened to. And so Iron Maiden were kind of the first metal band to do that, to like be really, really intelligent about 
the stuff that they were singing about. And not just screaming things. Yeah, which, I mean, screaming hadn't entered metal at that point yet. That wouldn't come for another probably few years. Um, It was very much still metal was formed by blues Mm -hmm. and hard rock and just classic rock in general. I was going to say, listening through Iron Maiden, I was very surprised that it's not what I thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. I mean, my original thought having never listened to Iron Maiden before was I was thinking similar to our Slipknot just because I mean when we said heavy metal I was like okay Iron Maiden older than them 40 years beforehand there's probably some themes which I did I did notice I could see a lot of what they've done and what they, how their style like you can see a lot of the influence that's now on, on modern metal mm-hmm. I was very pleasantly surprised that it was really more similar to like 70s rock, ACDC style. Yeah, just with a little more complexity and speed. Yeah, so much more speed. Like pedal to the metal, nonstop speed. That was that was def- another trait of the Nawabum scene at that time. Mm. They were pushing the, the speed part because they were influenced by punk music. Yeah. Because that was kind of the scene that replaced, because punk died about 79, 80. And that's just when the Nawabum scene started. So they kind of like, that became the new underground as far as hard rock and heavy metal was concerned. And so they were kind of taking punk and then mixing it with um, a lot of progressive elements, a lot of classic rock elements. Lots of vocal ad-libs too throughout their music. Yeah. Um, Bruce Dickinson, their lead singer, in my opinion, is the greatest frontman in heavy metal history. He's just uh, he's a a mighty mighty force to be reckoned with. His his nickname was the um, the air raid siren because he has this operatic powerful voice and he can go out in concert and sing a two hour show and like his voice never fails. Even now he's like almost sixty. That's crazy. It's just it's amazing. They're also surprisingly, I mean, for just how fast that they play, they their dynamics are incredible. I mean, just how they go about all their songs. I mean, and from even on this list, like every song on here has a has a similar kind of format, but just dynamic wise is what makes it really interesting. And Judas Priest started to do this a little bit, but Iron Maiden really kind of showed the entire breadth of what metal can be as far as you can have moments where you go soft and go loud. It doesn't have to be like loud in your face the whole time. You can craft these little interludes. You can um, kind of have these, you can have dynamics. You can have soft points. You can have uh, loud points. You can start at one tempo and then go to another tempo later on. As long as it makes sense to what's going on lyrically, the music and the lyrics always fit together really, really well. Yeah. And I think the the ultimate thing that I love the most about Iron Maiden is that they were so compositionally genius. They knew how to just craft an experience that you just got immersed into, whether it be the lyrics, the music, the guitars. Um, the way Bruce sang was always so theatrical to where you felt like it wasn't just a guy singing. It was a character in a story or a theater. They really would 
knew how to bring the stories to life. And I feel like there was so much energy to all their music. Yes. Like, not just because of the pace that they played at, but just just with everything, the dynamics and just their their musical talent, like, and how they played every song. My first thought was, like, I wonder if it's just going to be noise. And it's not. It's just this energy, like, almost like a force that just, like, kind of comes with their music and just kind of overtakes you. Mm-hmm. While at the same time, you know, you can hear exactly what every person is playing. Exactly. It doesn't turn into this sludgy wall of noise. It's yes. very well produced. It's very well played. Like, these people are technicians. Comparing it to Slipknot, where everything kind of, like, I mean, you've got nine people in the band, so obviously you're not going to hear every single thing yeah. clearly. And also that's just stylistically what they want. They want chaos. They want a wall of noise just assaulting you in every side. Iron Maiden's not like that. They want you to hear everything that's going on. Um, a little bit, I, I do want to talk a little bit about the people in the band. So Iron Maiden has had lineup changes. Although not as many as you might think. And there's been two consistent members that have been through Iron Maiden the whole time. Uh, you've got the leader of the band, which is the bass player, which is kind of uncommon because he's also, he's not the singer. Hmm. To have a purely just a bass player be the leader of the band, he's the one that started the band, he writes most of the songs, he even writes most of the guitar parts. And on the bass and kind of like we'll go to the studio and go, okay, you're gonna play this do 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 and you're gonna play this harmonizing da 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 and um he's got a lot of the creative control. He's the one person in the band that if he were to say, I'm done, then the band's done. And um he is my all time favorite bass player. And you, when you listen to him play, he plays his bass, the perfect line of being a melodic bass player. Like he almost plays a lot of guitar lines with his bass. Yeah, I did notice that. While at the same time, keeping the rhythm aspect of it. It's very aggressive. Yes. And you can hear it. And I think this speaks to the technicality of just the recording. Like this is, I was very surprised, especially for a metal band, that you could hear the bass as clearly as, as you can with these songs. Well, you can definitely understand him being the leader of the band. He's going to make sure his bass is heard in the mix. He's probably was in the studio and going, hey, I can't hear myself. Turn me up. But also it's the where he plays on the bass. And I really know this a lot because I'm a bass player. And Steve Harris is the one that actually I played bass for several years hating it. Um, And then when I finally started learning some Iron Maiden songs, that's when I finally loved playing bass because it just opened this new world for me of playing and, you know, playing stuff that was really pushing my speed and my technicality, but also, like, showing me a lot of stuff about melody. and um, But he plays, he doesn't play the low notes of the bass very often. Yeah. He always plays the mid very to the high. high. Yeah. But yet it's, it still works somehow because that's part of their sound. You don't need a lot of low end on an Iron Maiden song. <laughs> no. It's a lot of mid and high. Which really, again, it shouldn't work. Usually, you gotta have a, a really dominant low, and especially in metal, you a lot of the things that people think of in heavy metal is like really low, like chugging, um, low vocal. Mm-hmm. Iron Maiden is like the complete opposite of that. Yeah, 
And it's not like grating on your ears or anything. Mm-mm. So you've got Steve Harris on bass, and then you've got Dave Murray, one of the two guitar players. Although now they have three guitar players, which how they balance that, I have no idea. But Dave Murray is has been on every single Iron Maiden album along with Steve Harris. Um, and then you... Um, they ha- originally had a different lead vocalist for the first two albums. We'll actually do an episode at some point, kind of delving into those first two records because they're really different from a lot of the rest of Iron Maiden's catalog. They had Paul Diano um, singing those first two records, and then um, they realized that what they wanted to do compositionally, his voice couldn't do. He was a, he was a punk singer mm. and had a. He didn't have a really low voice. He could hit some high notes, but not near the way that Bruce could. And so they recruited Bruce from a band called Samson, brought him in for the Number of the Beast album, and that was the album that like broke them big in the metal world. That was that's Number of the Beast is often considered by many to maybe be the best metal record ever made. And I'm sporting right now my Number of the Beast T-shirt, <laughs> which is probably my favorite shirt that I own. Um, it's a perfect record from start to finish. And it was the record that just really announced that these are the guys that are now have been handed the baton. You know, Black Sabbath had it, then Judas Priest had it, now it's Iron Maiden's turn. This is still pre-Metallica, where Metallica would eventually take it from them. But once Number of the Beast hit, they kind of ascended to biggest metal band in the world. And... Really, only Metallica has equaled them as far as sheer popularity. And Metallica had an edge because they were able to get on radio. Iron Maiden was never on radio. But Iron Maiden has been a lot more consistent over the years, consistently great. Their newest record that came out in 2015 is probably one of the best albums they've ever made. So they're still making stuff. They're on tour right now. That's crazy. Like, they're just, they're going. And I I listened to an interview with Steve Harris not too long ago, and they have no signs of quitting anytime soon. They said, we feel good. We feel healthy. We don't feel like, oh, God, I'm going to die if I'm (laughs) stay up on the stage any longer. They're like, we're full of energy. Um, We enjoy what we're doing. And as long as we have that, we're going to keep going because it's our favorite thing in the world to do. And metal is in. Metal is in. And even if not in America, although... Um, we had another metal album in under a month that has hit the top of the Billboard charts with Tool. Mm. Uh, we'll talk about them at some point. But like, you go to South America, you go to Japan, you go to some of these Eastern European countries, or just kind of Europe in general. Um, metal is huge. Um, South America, like... People almost worship Iron Maiden. It's crazy. Like they're the fans down there are insane. Like they start crying when they get to the venue <laughs> because they're so excited to see Iron Maiden. Like they're the biggest band in the world down there. They'll do a concert down there and have over a hundred thousand people in attendance. That's amazing. At every show. And so like the global crowd they have garnered like is just incredibly impressive. So I got a little sidetracked here. So Number of the Beast, first album with Bruce Dickinson. Also on the first three albums, you have Clive Burr on the drums. He quits after Number of the Beast, and they get um, a guitarist named Nico McBrain, 
and um, he is while Clive Burr is a we have one Clive Burr song on this list the rest are played by Nico on drums he's got a very jazzy feel to how he plays where Clive is a more of a thunderous precise just like beat the living crap out of the drums <laughs> kind of player where Nico is much more of a got a swing to how he plays and kind of you know has a bit more of a jazzy flair uh, and then you've got the other guitarist, Adrian Smith, who joined on the second album and stayed till about 90, left for the 90s, so did Bruce Dickinson, and then they both came back in 2000 have been with the band ever since. So the songs that we're looking at today fall in the, what I call the classic period, from, I guess if I think about it, from 82 to 91, which is the part after the Fear of the Dark album is when Bruce left. And came back about eight years later. All right. So that's Iron Maiden. That's Iron Maiden. There's so much more I could talk about. I'm really trying to, because I keep getting off on these, on these tangents. And this is not the only Iron Maiden episode we'll do. I will make sure of that. And there'll be plenty, plenty more for me to delve into details wise. I'm trying to stay big picture here. All right. Well, when we get back, we will dive into this week's song list. Yeah, Iron Maiden. Stay, Stay tuned. tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We are talking about my favorite metal band of all time, which is Iron Maiden. And we have got um, some songs to talk about. So if you have never listened to an episode of our podcast before, what this section is, is I try and come up with a set of six songs usually. If you look at our Beatles episode, I did eight because I decided I was going to break my own rules and I can do it whenever I want. But most of the time I'll pick six and I'm picking these songs as if you've never heard this band before. Like if you've never listened to Iron Maiden before, which Justin had not. Nope. I wanted to give a set of six that accomplished several things. One was a good intro to the band. I'm not going to pick their, their hardest to listen to songs, even if they are masterpieces um, the songs that would be bad for someone to hear if they've never listened to the band before. Um, and also I want to create a set of six that has a great emotional journey from start to finish. So I want to start off with a great opening song and I want the songs to lead to a logical conclusion to have the grand finale at the end. And so I'm not necessarily picking their six best songs. I'm not necessarily picking my six favorite songs. My favorite Iron Maiden song is not on this list. So it's not out of partiality. Uh, I'm not picking what I think are objectively their six best songs. Um, So if your favorite Iron Maiden song is not on this list, don't worry. We will probably return to it at some point. In fact, leave a comment wherever you're listening on what Iron Maiden songs you would like to see us tackle next when we return to this band. Um, Let us know if your favorite song makes it onto this list. But 
that's how that works. And if you've never listened to this band before, after you listen to us talk and hopefully we pique your curiosity, um, in the description for this episode is instructions to find my Spotify playlist. And you will find all of the songs in the correct order that are right there ready for you to listen to. So, um, again, look at the description. It'll tell you exactly how to find me and how to find that playlist. And without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into our first song, the opening from their 1984 record, Power Slave, and that is Aces High. This song reminds me of a video game soundtrack. Yeah. Specifically, Sonic. I don't know if you ever played Sonic. Yeah, oh, I played. But I had a Sega Genesis back in the day. Th- this song is, when I heard this song, especially the intro, this is what I originally thought of. It's just Sonic just rolling, you know, a little 2D, just mm-hmm. going flat, just running, going through loops, collecting all the rings. Uh-huh. That's exactly what I thought of. Yeah, I can see that. I can abs- I don't think I ever came to that conclusion myself, but I can now that you say that, I'm just like, yeah, because it's a it's a fast song. Mm-hmm. It's got oh, it's a very melodic song as as all the songs on this list are. Um but it's it's just it's this like energy, this kind of manic double time yeah. race. Um the song is about um uh fighter pilots during World War II. So Interesting. a little bit of history because again they're an english band so they're going to sing the english perspective Mm -hmm. it's not you know the american perspective or anything like that but before america joined world war ii when hitler was kind of first making his his blitzkrieg his lightning war upon europe uh just quickly um invading these neighboring countries and quickly capturing them before they kind of know what's going on um uh, England is separated from Europe by an ocean. So the only way that Germany could invade is to send bombers. And so they would try and bomb England before they would invade because they knew that England was too strong to just purely sail up and try and conquer it. Enough time had passed to where England figured out what Germany was doing and was able to kind of um, put up their defenses. So England was trying to bomb or Germany was trying to bomb England into submission. And it would have worked had not a group of very skilled fighter pilots uh, been able to shoot a lot of these bombers down before they were able to do significant damage. And so um, there's that very famous sound of kind of the ooh whenever mm-hmm. the siren would sound that the bombers are coming. So everyone in the city takes shelter and the the English fighter pilots, you're about to go off. So that, that first line, there goes the siren that warns of the air raid. And so that's kind of saying, okay, it's time to go fight. And so this song, they're, they are the aces high, kind of a metaphor saying that they, you know, these pilots were England's aces in the hole. Gotcha. They were the only reason that England was not under German rule. Had England been overtaken, Germany might have won World War II because the only reason that America was able to invade Europe is because they were able to stage in England. D-Day wouldn't have happened. We wouldn't have, I mean, maybe we could have found a way to get into Europe, but it would have been a million times harder had England lost the air battle to Germany. 
And so pretty much this song is is a celebration of this victorious moment in English history. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of saying that their fighter pilots won the day and they were the aces high. And so that kind of adds to the to the drama of the story and why the, the music is so fast and feverish just because it's kind of really um, portraying these fighter pilots that are just in combat, just weaving in and out of the air and flying, you know, that part where he's saying, and it's kind of just going all over the place. It's just, they're trying to depict what an air battle at that time would have been like. The instrumental in this song is... This is such a classic sound. In fact, I think when I heard it, I was just like, oh man, this is this is what I would think of when I think of a rock band solo. Mm-hmm. Like just that classic, not like squealing guitar, but just like just real shiny, I guess is the best way mm-hmm. I can I can say it. Perfectly played. There's not like any um any missed notes or mm-hmm. like timing issues. Like they're just they're playing every single run and complicated part just like seamlessly. Yeah. Also, interesting use of delay in the vocals in the pre-chorus. Mm-hmm. Not something that, even in some of the other bands that we had li- we've listened to, that I hadn't really noticed very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's a very interesting effect. Again, kind of trying to almost like you imagine that each word is almost like a plane that's going down. It's it's like it's echoing and spiraling mm-hmm. down to the ground. And then you've got just a great anthemic chorus with the layered harmonies and yeah. and just building up to that really high note at the very end. Yeah, the breakdown at the end is, I think, one of the coolest things about this song. Yeah. And this song is one of the Iron Maiden classics. Whenever they play this song live, they actually start off with uh, one of Winston Churchill's speeches that he gave during World War II. Mm, that's where they cool. They say, "We will fight in the fields. We will yeah. fight in the landing grounds. We will fight. We shall never surrender." <sighs> and then the song starts, and they use that to open a lot of their concerts. That's cool. By the way, I have seen Iron Maiden live twice, and the second time I saw them, they did this song live, and it was actually the song that started the encore set. Mm. And so they did. They did. Their main set went off stage. We're all cheering, and then we just—it's pitch black stage, and we just hear that uh, that speech start, and we all know what's about to happen. We all know that Ace is High is about to start playing. So that takes us to our second song, Two Minutes to Midnight." Yes. Yeah, so this is the second song off of their 1984 album, "Power Slave." In my opinion, this is one of the best one-two punches of any metal record ever as far as just you've got an incredible opener song and then you go straight into another incredible song um some other great metal albums that have a great one-two punch or would be like um battery master of puppets from the master of puppets album of, from metallica um holy wars into hangar 18 from megadeth's rest in peace album um war pigs paranoid from black sabbath's paranoid album and then I would say Ace is High, Two Minutes to Midnight uh, from Power Slave Record. Yeah. And so it was just like, for me, I was just like, I got to keep these two together because it worked so well on the album. It's one of the best openings to an album ever, these these two songs. I was just like, let's just keep it. It worked so well. Let's just keep the. It's a great keeping of the momentum while at the same time not feeling so similar. You're kind of like it's got a bit more of a mid-tempo groove to yeah. it, 
but at the same time, you're not losing the energy from the first song. Especially with just with the way that how it starts with those Tom fills in the beginning. You, you hear, can tell it's a new song, but you know, it's keeping the energy going. Yeah. You can hear Nico's jazz influence in his playing. He's, he loves his, um, his Tom fills and the way he plays them is always so interesting. I think the best thing that I, about the song that I've liked is just the, the breakdown instrumental around the three thirty mark. Just yeah. so much dynamics mm-hmm. when it goes quiet. And then it somehow gets back into the original, line of the song (laughs) yeah yeah so this song is about um do you know about the doomsday clock Mm -hmm. so this was uh, obviously when they recorded this this was during the height of the cold war and uh, at that time the clock was set to two minutes to midnight and so um they're just kind of talking about how like the world's in chaos we've got all this stuff going on and we are we're closest to destruction that we ever have been before and we need to pay attention or else we're going to you know nuke ourselves and send us all back to oblivion <laughs> and something about using unborn babies to do it yeah i know that one line <laughs> towards the end of the chorus just the i think it's like to kill the to unborn, kill unborn in, the- in the womb i'm just like oh okay and he's just but and he's not even just like he's that last note was just kind of like soaring too because he's just like getting yeah. up there. Uh huh. It's kind of one of those ones you hear for the first time. You're like, wait, did he say what I think he said? I'm born in the womb. Just crazy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just kind of talking about just like this is this is what we've come to now. <laughs> this is to where this is a normal thing. Um, the Armageddon's coming. That course though. I mean, as weird as it sounds, like it actually is very catchy. Just the way it, again, it kind of reminds me of just like an ACDC yeah. like, style chorus. It's just like two minutes to, to midnight. Yeah. Yeah. They, it's very, very catchy. One of the big hallmarks of Iron Maid is they know how to write a great chorus. Yeah. They always know how to make it very anthemic. They They knew that these songs would translate well to stadiums where everyone is singing along like you can imagine like a hundred thousand people oh yeah it's very anthemic yeah yeah it's a song that is longer than your normal song but you don't feel it like you don't feel like you're going oh my gosh this song is six minutes and it's kind of just because the song flows so naturally and all the parts are so interesting that it, it doesn't feel like they're adding anything in just to add it in to fill time like you're listening to it and you just you get to the end you go Oh, whoa, that was six minutes. Okay. In my opinion, that's like, that's when you know that you're a really, really yeah. good band. Is if you can make a longer song not feel like longer. Like, there's some songs I've listened to that are four minutes long that I'm going, good Lord, this feels like the song's going on forever. Yeah. And then there's other songs that are eight minutes long, and I go, oh, it's already over? Okay. Yeah, and I think a lot of that just has to do with just how good their dynamics are because it's just this constant, you, you know, in spite of the pace that they're playing at, mm-hmm. it's just this such a great roller coaster ride up and down. Yeah. Iron Maiden's really, really good at that. So that takes us to our third song, The Trooper. The Trooper. Probably up there with their most like recognizable and iconic songs. Yeah. I think I've gathered that. So this is from their fourth album, Peace of Mind. So this is, this was the album before Power Slave. It's their second album with Bruce Dickinson. So it went Number of the Beast, Peace of Mind, Power Slave, 
which is like one incredible trio of albums to release in like three years time, one coming out each year. I love the flow of the breaks in the in between the beginning and the verses, just the way like just that kind of chugging mentality and just like it goes yeah. and goes. So that is another very um, iconic thing that is specific to Iron Maiden is the way mm. they would use the gallop. Almost every Iron Maiden baseline features that in some way. It's something that Steve Harris was really known for making popular because he doesn't play with a pick. He plays with the fingers. Wow. And so he uses three fingers. And it's something that when I figured out how to do it, I was just like, yes. But um, in this instance, the galloping is very, very specific because they're trying to create the, f- the feel of a soldier on a horseback. Mm. So this song is specifically about the Crimean War and also with a lot of references to the uh, an old poem called The Charge of the Light Brigade. And so um, they're not just talking about war in general or – you know they're 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 being very specific. You know they're talking about a Russian's got me in his sights. Um, um, you know he's talking about a very specific event and just about a a heroic charge. You know you'll take my life, but I'll take yours too. It's not, you know, I'm hiding in a bunker and a bomb falls down on me. It's like it's someone that's rushing to the front line, knowing they're going to die, but he's going to try and take you with them. It's kind of like this, the song is this heroic last stand of courage. And and the fact that they, uh, the chorus doesn't even have any words to it. Yeah. It's just like this, it's almost like a war cry. It's really interesting to me that how they're able to kind of make you feel the adrenaline and what that character would have been feeling just with the speed of like how they're playing. It really helps suit that song. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, the, the hero dies at the end of the song. Mm-hmm. Um, he pulls the trigger and I feel the blow um, as I lay there gazing at the sky. But at the same time, it has that chorus at the end, that that scream. It's just kind of like he's he's defiant till the very end. This song also has a crazy guitar solo. I think it's <laughs> I think it's probably the best solo that they ever did. Yeah. Just as far as the way that it's structured and the and the technique that they use to pull it off. I would say, yeah, it's the best solo that they've ever recorded. And, and then, probably the best riff they ever recorded too. That that it's just like how do you write so a much riff fun, like that? so interesting. Like you're kind of just like captivated by it, and then all of a sudden they like snap back into the original melody of the song. And you're just like, oh, here we go again. Yeah, yeah it's a riff you could hear over and over and over again. You just never would get tired of it. Whenever they play the song live, Bruce Dickinson like puts on like this red um, soldiers code and he gets this giant uh union jack flag and he's like running across the stage like <laughs> with the flag so that's another thing about iron man is they're very very theatrical stage show like every song's got something going to it they've got huge animatronics and um big zombie like creatures coming out which i didn't even talk about their mascot eddie which i'll have to do that in another episode because we're already too far in for that but we'll talk about eddie at some point um, but yeah, so he just, you know, he's literally just sprinting back and forth and then like stopping to sing those 
verses and choruses that are so high up in his register and he's just like he's not even out of breath it's just like, <laughs> after running around is this, stage. is this guy human what what's going on here it's funny so um so yeah we have a sudden break right there at the end that leads us to our fourth song this is my favorite song on the list i that's what i would have guessed run to the hills run to the hills this was probably the song that got them the closest to being on the radio yeah this is kind of like this is kind of like if if someone knows one Iron Maiden song, this is probably the one that they would say. Like if they don't listen to them or metal, that's kind of like they would hear the song and go, "Oh, I've heard that song before." Yeah, I think the I think what what makes this so fun is one it has this galloping style, of course, that mm-hmm. they're known for, but then also such catchy such a catchy guitar melody in the verse and I love like yeah. the lyric structure so this was on the number of the beast album and so this is has the, our, their first drummer Clive Burr and I was wondering if you kind of noticed the difference in the drumming on this song if it uh, it's definitely a, a different style and a feel that he uses compared to Nico I mean obviously you didn't know listening to the songs that they had two different drummers. No. But I was curious if you even picked up on just going, Oh, the drums feel a little different on this song. No, I was too busy listening to this great guitar line in this song. <laughs> okay. So this song is um it's on the number of the beast albums. Actually the song was not gonna be on the album at all. They were about to release the album, they were gonna about to go on a big tour before the album came out. And the promoters told them you need to have a single that goes out before the album and and before the tour so that way like you know you have like something that's you know getting in people's minds before and they're like well i don't know what song we would use and they're just like let's just write one real quick so they wrote the song in like 30 minutes (laughs) and i was just like here put this on the album and release it as a single and it turns out to be like probably the most successful single they ever released and I mean, we've talked about this several times before. The song yeah. that gets added on last at the last minute usually ends up being the biggest hit on the album. We saw it with um, Every Breath You Take. We saw it with uh, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Um, we looked at it with Smells Like Teen Spirit. Like, it's just like it's the one that gets finished last ends up being like the big song on the album. I think my favorite line in this song is the part in in the verse when it talks about the thing that's coming for them and then them fighting back mm-hmm. and then the end one of the ending lines is we gave them hell just like that whole segment there mm-hmm. is is so fun and like we fought them hard we fought them well uh, upon the plains we gave them hell yeah it's so fun like i can just even for somebody even for, who doesn't even listen to to metal like that's if i was in a concert like that would be fun yeah to sing out with um like thousands of people yeah so this is uh, another historical event that they're recounting uh, this is um the and it's not subtle at all they're telling you exactly what it's about which is europeans coming in to america and killing all the native americans that are there <laughs> so that first verse with the slower tempo was from the view of the native Americans saying the white man came across the sea they brought us pain and misery they even say a specific tribe the cree yeah. Um, too much for Creo will we ever be set free. And then when the gallop starts dun, 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 so that's when the chase begins. That's the the they're coming on horseback for him. And so now it comes from the perspective of the the white colonists. And so um this is 
them coming in just and they're telling them run for the hills run for your lives because you won't escape us so it's pretty much just kind of a condemnation on how Europeans came in and and totally decimated yeah yeah (laughs) yikes Uh uh-huh and then the third verse is kind of like a um almost like neutral like just someone observing you know selling their whiskey and taking their gold and slaving the young and destroying the old they're kind of like it's almost like a narrator that's just kind of telling you "Eh, this is what happened Hmm. interesting instrumental breakdown Yep, you've got an amazing Steve Harris moment when it gets to and you go even I don't even quite understand how his fingers move that fast because again he didn't use a pick that would be easy to do with a pick but he's using I think he's using all four fingers at that point and he's just he's got a little bass solo and then you've got some incredible vocal highs from Bruce Dickinson yeah that when he's slowly rising his voice up to the big scream at the end. Yeah, I love the breakdown at the end and just how, uh, just such a great crescendo to end like the song. Just like, mm-hmm. and I think that's what, that's so funny. One of the, that's one of the things that I kind of enjoyed about some of these Iron Maiden songs, just how they ended. It's just like, like there's a real finality to mm-hmm. a lot of these songs. It's just like, like all this speed and all of a sudden it's like, all right, here we go, we're done. I I'm trying to think. I don't think there is a. At least not that I can think of. Well, I can think of one, but even then that doesn't count. They don't do fade-outs. They always end the song, and usually with, like, a great trash can. Yeah. Or, like, some kind of very intentional outro thing. Like, Iron Maiden doesn't do fade-outs. I love that, personally. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I've, I gathered your, from when we did the Tears for Fears episode, your opinions on fade-outs. When they're, fades, man. When they're when they're done right, you like them. But yeah, Iron Maiden really knows how to end a song. So this takes us into our fifth song, "Fear of the Dark." So this is the point where I was just like, okay, now we need to like kind of change things up a little bit. We've we've had our foot to the pedal this whole time. whole time, and it's just like, okay, now we need a moment to kind of like catch our breath, but not completely, because there's no such thing really as a true Iron Maiden ballad. That's what I figured when the way, especially with how this song started, I was just like, oh, okay, I'm sure it's gonna come, and then of course the inevitable comes. Yeah. So this, um, this album was during a really difficult time for the band. It was really hard to be a metal band in general in the early 90s, especially if you were big in the 80s. Just about all of the big 80s bands, um, metal and hard rock-wise, really fell on hard times when the 90s hit. Partial, a lot due to grunge. A lot of metal bands tried to get that grunge feel into their metal, and it didn't work for most of them. And then you had the new wave of metal coming in so this is you know thrash metal has just made it the big time because metallica hits it big Mm -hmm. in the early 90s that's really interesting considering like you would think especially with iron maiden and Mm -hmm. and especially some of their lyrics and their music like i mean it's close to some of the 90s grunge stuff but yeah well i don't know though because a lot of the 90s stuff was all about like brooding introspection yeah i guess that's true and i think maybe that's why 
with the new wave metal just being more harsh and yeah because that's what they that's thrash was all about yeah introspection and like talking about you know world events but like from a very raw and brutal standpoint and then you also had new bands coming up like pantera that like really um took away a lot of the theatrics and focused a lot on just groove oriented metal and so a lot of these older bands like judas priest hit hard times in the 90s iron maiden black sabbath um all the hair metal bands pretty much died overnight yeah uh you've got bands like def leppard that tried to adapt and didn't do quite well even thrash once thrash hit mainstream in the early 90s they couldn't keep it up through the 90s um metallica had a kind of polarizing decade megadeth didn't do well in the 90s slayer didn't do well in the 90s um it was a hard time for heavy metal if you were part of the old guard. Obviously, there were tons of new bands coming up. You had the new metal scene going on. You had industrial metal getting really big. Um, you had death metal was really big in the 90s. You had the Norwegian black metal scene going on. But Fear of the Dark was kind of the end of an era. For the most part, the album is not that great of an album. Um, you could tell that creatively they were dry and that they were butting heads a lot between the three main songwriters which was steve harris bruce and one of the guitar players adrian smith and smith had left the band at this point and bruce was on his way out and so you can just kind of feel that a lot of the songs were pretty lazy but then fear the dark is the last song in the album and they come up with one of their all-time best songs and this song has adopted this incredible new persona live. They do the original guitar line, the da 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 and then when it goes soft and it goes in that ba da 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 like the guitar line there, you go to an Iron Maiden show, the entire crowd is going to sing that guitar line word for word. Like the guitars even kind of lay back a little bit and they let the crowd take over and you have this... And I've gotten to do this twice now because they played this song at both shows. And I got to be a part of that crowd. One of the greatest moments in a concert I've ever gotten to do. Of just being part of this going, oh, 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 And it's just like everyone's doing. You know, that's one of the rules you know going into Iron Man concerts that you have to participate in the Fear of the Dark guitar line. And so this was kind of like their last classic. And then when they reconvened in the early 2000s they got really good again although they didn't really produce a lot of what i would call classic iron maiden songs great iron maiden songs but probably not ones in later down the years will be viewed as one of their classic songs <laughs> fear of the dark is a classic iron maiden song this song apparently really hits home for you it does it was just a really bright spot in the dark period for the band so it's just it's kind of a miracle that we got such a good song as this during that time so this takes us to our last song from them on this list yes hallowed be thy name so i was actually wrong i said that there was only one clive burr song on this list and there's actually two because this is the closing song off of the number of the beast album now this song is what i was expecting when when we said iron maiden <laughs> yes so this is this song is kind of like their their master stroke most people will say that this is the best Iron Maiden song that there is. Hmm. And 
I've even seen a lot of people say that this might be the greatest heavy metal song of all time. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but it's definitely, I'd say, like, top 10 greatest metal songs ever made. This is the song that ends their Number of the Beast album. And a lot of the songs, with maybe Fear of the Dark being an exception, are, like, more concise Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden knew how to get epic. Like, they actually wrote a lot of long songs. Like I said earlier, they wrote a 13-minute yeah. song about the rhyme of the ancient mariner. Well, even Fear of the Dark. That was a long song. That's a long song. Um, kind of showing more of the... But that song is not as epic of a song. Yeah. It's kind of got a lot more of the peaks and valleys. It's a little more brooding. Yeah. Which, hallowed be thy name. It's the moment when Iron Maiden be in my opinion, truly became Iron Maiden. Like, this is the song that from this point on, you know what Iron Maiden is going to be. And they've established what they do best, which are these big, sprawling, epic songs. And so you've got a song about a man that is waiting his time to go to the gallows pole. And he's kind of contemplating his life, uh, reflecting on my past life. And he's kind of wondering, what's going to happen after I die? What's what's beyond there? What what am I going to see? Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? And will I be um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Reincarnated? Uh, is there nothing? I don't know, but I'm about to find out. I need to be okay with my death. There's nothing I can do to stop it. Let's go ahead and just view this as an opportunity to learn what's on the other side. And so, the song starts off with this this brooding feel which i felt would be a great connecting piece to end yeah. with the the broodingness of fear of the dark into this really somber you know you hear the you hear the the tolling of the bell you know i'm waiting in my cold cell and the bell begins to chime and it's just kind of like it's like you don't know what's going to happen and then it kicks in and man when it kicks in it freaking kicks in just that, that when that riff kind of yeah, I love the breaks after that first big instrumental in the beginning. Yeah, so catchy. And then even just like in the verses, love all the musical walkdowns that are happening. I mean, mm-hmm. just and it's not just like one instrument; it's all it's all the guitars and the bass, yeah. and they're all doing the same thing. Uh huh. And then um, the ending breakdown is incredible <laughs> yeah and then when they get to the that that line where they got the and they and they change tempos and, yeah. st- and they go do it again and again and it goes into the guitar cells and you're just like oh my gosh here we go we're, it's, so this is the point of the set that we're building towards this big moment at the end of the song like you know like okay we've we've had all this stuff leading and now we're we're going towards this inevitable moment where everything's gonna pay off right at the end here and he gets to that end and he's just yelling how would be thy name and he hits that big note at the end and that guitar line comes back in and you're mm-hmm. just like yes I mean that's what I do anytime I listen to this song I <laughs> put my fists up in there and I go heck yeah so there you have it there you have it Iron Maiden Iron Maiden definitely not what I was expecting we'll get a yeah well I'll ask you your full views once we come back here and we talk about our bonus songs so um Stay tuned with us, and we'll be back with you shortly. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We've been talking about Iron Maiden. We just talked about um, six songs that we were looking at, which those to recap, the songs were Ace is High, Two Minutes to Midnight, The Trooper, Run to the Hills, Fear of the Dark, and Hallowed Be Thy Name. Remember, check out the Spotify playlist to listen to those songs, especially if you've never heard these songs before. Hopefully we made you very curious, especially my uh, intense enthusiasm for these songs. Hopefully it made you go, huh, well maybe I should listen to these songs and find out just exactly what he means. So now we're going to move into what I call our bonus song. If this is the first time you're listening with us, what a bonus song is, is I like to pick uh, a song from either a more obscure band or maybe a one-hit wonder or an artist that I would maybe not necessarily delve an entire episode on. Um, and also, I like for the bonus song to have some kind of strange connection to the main artist, whether that be genre or country or something to do with the history of the band you know, a side project or a solo project or something of that nature to where it's not just I'm picking a random song to do. So our bonus song for Iron Maiden is Fly Eagle Free by Halloween. What's the connection here? So Iron Maiden started off as a Nawabam band, and they pretty much kind of transcend to just be their own thing, Iron Maiden. They're kind of like you kind of really can't pin a genre on them necessarily, even though you can pin where they started from. By their third album, they were not sounding anything like the rest of the Nawabam scene. But there was a genre that came in the wake of Iron Maiden's popularity called power metal. And power metal is a very specific, very defined genre in metal. And Halloween was pretty much the band that started power metal. You can tell that they borrowed a lot from Iron Maiden. Now, what are the characteristics people should know about power metal? Power metal has extreme speed. Like, all power metal you listen to is going to be, like, going 120 miles per hour. It's also going to have high operatic vocals in keeping with Iron Maiden's sound. It's going to be very melodically played. There's You're not going to have screaming or really low-sounding guitars in power metal. And the lyrics are pretty much exclusively going to be fantasy Dungeons & Dragons style. So it's like they're going to be singing about wizards and castles and dragons and epic quests and dark sorcerers. And it's, it's pretty much it's just like the whole point of the lyrics of power metal is to like put you into this fantasy world. You're not going to be singing about, you know, World War II, or you're not going to be talking about street gangs, or, you know, kind of the other, you know, you know, zombie mutilation stuff that, like, other metal genres can get into. It's all going to be, like, very much like a classic power metal album cover will be, like, a guy, like, riding on top of a dragon with his shirt off, and you can see all the muscles and stuff. <laughs> like, it's very bro. Gotcha. So Halloween was, was pretty much the first true power metal band, but 
you wouldn't have probably had Power Metal had Iron Maiden not done what they did because they inspired it lyrically with a lot of the storytelling, um, definitely inspired the vocal style, the way the guitars are played. Like you hear a lot of the stuff in this bonus song, it's uh, the the guitar solos and yeah. the, the guitar lines is very much pulled from Iron Maiden. So pretty much the reason I chose this band is because it's kind of like the next step after what Iron Maiden laid down. Is this song famous? Because I feel like the for whatever reason, the chorus melody is sounds very familiar to me. It's not. This is definitely an underground band. Obviously, they are very big in the power metal scene, but this is never a band that got on radio. They never... Was this song ever covered or... Not that I know of. Crazy. It's... I don't know why. For some reason, when I, when I heard the chorus, I was like, oh man, this just sounds so familiar to me. Yeah, it's probably just the way it was written. It's Power metal always has very sing-songy choruses. Mm. Again, kind of how we were talking about, even probably more so than Iron Maiden. Yeah. It's a very melodic branch of metal. You're not going to have much dissonance. Gotcha. So yeah, we've got a lot of crazy instrument playing. Every instrument gets an opportunity to solo. You've got two different guitar solos. You've got an incredible bass solo, and then you've got a drum solo. And it's just kind of like this clinic show-off kind of song while at the same time still being a well-written metal song. And everybody's going 120 miles an hour. Yes. So, again, this is a step up from Iron Maiden because they're adding in the double bass pedal at this point, which um, Iron Maiden famously never have used. Uh, it's something specifically that Nico is like, he developed his single foot so fast that he does a lot of things that seem like they would be double bass, but he's actually doing with one mm. foot. But power metal like always has that like in every song. But I wanted to pick something that was a bit more closer to the spirit of what Iron Maiden was about. Cause that song came out in 89. So it was kind of, and it was when Iron Maiden for a small period of time was on the decline. And they were kind of like the one stepping forward to go, okay, we're going to pick up where Iron Maiden left off as far as lyrically, sonically, uh, compositionally. Gotcha. So what did you think of the song? Love the dynamics in the intro. There was, I think, right after the intro and after the first verse, like, I kind of like skipped ahead because I was like, I couldn't really, I think for whatever reason, it's just that particular portion. I was just kind of like, ah, this is kind of grating to me. But yeah. then after that, it was fine. Um Especially the just in the breakdown, like I love the the guitar line is super interesting to me, and then of course it explodes like into a frenzy. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, there's a really interesting use of a phaser in in the song, which I, yeah. which I was not really expecting, especially on the drum solo. Yeah, um, it actually sounds really cool. And so, like that's on that's kind of like what pulled me back into the song. I was like, oh, okay, like this is this is too bad. Yeah. So yeah, and bands bands from Germany, mm. which is also very interesting. Very, there's a very particular German scene that we'll maybe talk about in detail more some other time. That some very specific styles and sounds came out of Germany in the 80s and 90s. But yeah, so let's talk about Maiden overall. Your experience with it, kind of what left a mark on you. Definitely not as heavy or as ominous as I as I thought it was going to be. I mean, with the exception of Fear of the Dark. Fear of the Dark. I mean, that was definitely something that I was expecting. And to um, Hallowed Be Thy Name, that was definitely like when you said Iron Maiden. That's what I was expecting, especially mm-hmm. when you said that they're a heavy metal band. But, I mean, especially, like, with Aces High and Run to the Hills, I mean, definitely a lot more 
70s rock style than I was anticipating. Obviously, much more speed, much more technicality. Um, love the the kind of like battling guitars a lot. Like that was oh, those are always really cool. And I think just the energy of their songs. Like and all their guitar work just has kind of like this shine to it. Not necessarily this squealing like 70s guitar solo, but just kind of has like some. Like there's some glamour to it. It's like it's really clean sounding, and it's really, I don't know how else to describe it. It's just it's very pleasing to hear, mm-hmm. um, and it just and it just has so much energy to it. And so, definitely not as bad as I thought. I definitely enjoyed this much more than I enjoyed Slipknot for yeah. sure. If you've never listened to metal before, Iron Maiden is one of the best bands to start with because it's not so much of a like a bucket of cold water being dumped on you it's kind of more of a this sounds like stuff i've heard before Mm -hmm. especially like if you know if you like classic rock it's like it's not so far removed from it but at the same time it's adding in this new level to where it's it's kind of like you know slowly getting to the deep end this is kind of the point where you're first getting in the water and you're kind of going this is new but i still understand what this is it's really easy to see and really clear to see just like just their effect on modern metal, just especially with how melodic a lot of their their instrumentation is, um, especially with the guitars. I mean, mm-hmm. with not just the lead, but just the the, the part that the rhythm guitar plays in, in a lot of it. Um, having just kind of comparing, you know, Slipknot and, and Iron Maiden, like you can definitely f- you can hear and feel that melodic guitar rhythm just going in, mm-hmm. especially as like being a key part of. Of of the entire song, did it? Uh, did this kind of give you a different aspect of metal that you didn't maybe quite know existed? Yeah, I think so. I think when you said heavy metal, this is definitely not what I was expecting. I almost kind of was just like, "This is what is classified as heavy metal," because it certainly is does not sound like what I think heavy metal has always been shown to be, or mm-hmm. you know, talked about in, in this way. There are a lot of very interesting sounding pockets of metal that will slowly introduce you to. Honestly, even this, like this Iron Maiden compared to some of the stuff that I've heard, like in our modern day age, like it's almost more poppy than, (laughs) than a lot of metal music. Yeah. Especially instrumental wise. Yeah. Um, and again, that kind of comes from, cause they're coming on the back of the seventies when Mm -hmm. rock was the pop of that time. Yeah. Um, they, you know, they're they're pushing forward this new sound, but they're not doing it by completely reinventing the the sound of it all. What you'll start to learn is I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of show you how metal has evolved. We I gave you rung three, but we also show you kind of what rung one and two, which would have been Sabbath, and then rung two would have been a combination of Judas Priest and Motorhead, and then Iron Maiden was the third step. Then you've got Metallica that comes as the fourth step. And then after that, it goes off in these, all these different branches. But they all brought something different that shaped metal. Like, in my opinion, what the biggest contribution that Iron Maiden made was the immersion, the environment, the feeling of you're going to this different world instrumentally, lyrically, um, creating this, this space that was different from our world either going to the past or going sometimes to the future going to these alternate 
places either make-believe or real. Speed was in metal before Iron Maiden came. Aggression was in metal before Iron Maiden came. They didn't bring that newness to that, but rather they figured out how to tell a story with metal. So we'll, we'll talk about at some point the other, although the next time we return to metal, we're going to go a little bit more into the darker side, but it's for a very specific reason. But yeah, there's Iron Maiden for you. So they're one of my all-time favorite bands, and I'm really, really glad to finally get to nerd out about them. So we've now talked about three of my four pillars, but we're actually not going to talk about the fourth one for quite a while because I don't think you're quite ready for it yet. But it's not heavy metal. I won't talk about what it is. I want to leave a little bit of mystery uh, to where what we're going to do next, but we'll get to it at some point. That's it for this episode. Next week, we are going to be talking about one of my newly favorite bands, uh, a band that has been making headlines over this last weekend. Now, obviously, when you're listening to it, it's not going to be the weekend that you're talking about, but um, I won't say what the band is just because I'm also going to not completely announce what the next week's artist is going to be. I want to kind of keep you coming back to more, for more. Like, you're going to go, I wonder who they're going to talk about this week, and then it'll pop up on your screen, and you'll go, oh... So this is something I was thinking about. I don't want to completely spoil the surprise. So you'll see what that band is next week on the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Justin. Keep on listening to good music. Thank you so much.